0: children, those who come after, are those who will take one's place. They are life's answer to mortality, and their presence in one's house is a constant reminder that one no longer belongs to the frontier generation. One cannot pursue agelessness for oneself and remain faithful to the spirit and meaning of perpetuation. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 228, The Wedding Song. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Die Traung is the name of a painting by the German-Jewish artist Moritz Daniel Oppenheim, one we have sent to you today. Die Trauung means the wedding, and as many scholars have noted in interpretation of the image, the painting depicts a wedding in the Jewish ghetto of Frankfurt before the emancipation, with the chuppah erected in the courtyard of the synagogue, with many of the traditions of German Jewry evident. First, though there is a canopy, a chuppah, Nevertheless, the bride and groom also have a prayer shawl draped around the two of them. The ritual draping of this garment around husband and wife, the wrapping of the talit, existed in much of Jewry before the chupa, the canopy, evolved into its present form. But for many Jews, the canopy took the talit's place, while descendants of German Jews and other Jews also maintained the original ritual. One can also see in the painting magnificent belts worn traditionally by chatan and kalah, bride and groom, in that community. And, as scholars further note, behind the chuppah hangs a plaque on the wall of the synagogue, one which, like in many places in Europe, served as the site where the glass utilized at the chupa would ultimately be thrown, shattered, rather than stepped on, as it is today. But it is perhaps impossible for the painting to capture one particularly beautiful wedding tradition of German-Jewish orthodoxy, one which involves not sight but sound, psalm and song. It is among traditional German Jews that they developed a ritual to sing Psalm 128 at a chuppah, at a Jewish wedding ceremony. This psalm also begins with the words, Shir Hamalot, a song of ascents, and then continues. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands, happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine within thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. It is immediately obvious why this psalm would be sung at a wedding. It expresses the biblical perspective of what makes a fortunate family, what a marriage is meant to create, a home with husband, wife, children, prosperity, and peace, while dwelling within the Holy Land and witnessing the good of Jerusalem. But we must understand the larger lessons of what it means to sing such a psalm in the Frankfurt ghetto, with the temple destroyed, and Jews many miles away from the Holy Land. Some commentators suggest that the psalm's focus on children links it to the psalm that precedes it, 127, which is understood by many to be David's psalm, expressing his hopes for his son Solomon. That psalm begins, Shir HaMalot liShlomo, a song of ascents for Solomon, and continues, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, they build it. Unless the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Many explain that David speaks here of his dream, which was the building of the temple. David expresses that only with the consent and help of the Almighty could the house of the divine come into being, and that he sees Solomon as the embodiment of his own continuity through whom his dream will be realized. But as commentators note, David also implicitly warns Solomon that only if Solomon used to the Torah, to the law of God, will his own building of the temple succeed, and only then will the dynasty of David fully flourish. The juxtaposition of this psalm to the next one, we can suggest, connects every Jewish home to the house of God. In singing to the bride and groom about a happy home and of Jerusalem at a wedding, the new husband and wife are implicitly informed by their community that what they are creating is more than a marriage between two individuals, especially for Jews in exile. It is the Jewish home being built that, it is hoped, will be a Beit HaMikdash in miniature, meaning a tiny temple, one which preserves the memory of Jerusalem and the sanctity of Jewish teaching, one which will affect the perpetuation of Judaism by serving as a dwelling place of the divine. Thus, perhaps, the larger purpose of the singing of this wedding psalm is to express to the bride and groom the profound responsibility that rests on their shoulders along with the prayer shawl that is draped around them. It is with this in mind that we can ponder the fact that, as I discussed once in commentary, the liturgy recited under the chuppah, known as the Sheva Brachot, the Seven Blessings, is meant to stress that this marriage is taking place within a larger, covenantal context. The couple is described not just as two individuals. Rather, they are called Reim HaHuvim, beloved covenantal partners, imitating Adam and Eve, who in Eden established a Binyan Adeyad, a source of immortality. The marriage is placed within a larger story. The Garden of Eden is mentioned as is the hope for ultimate redemption. That is why this covenantal ceremony requires a minyan, a Jewish prayer quorum, of ten. It is impossible to elope in Jewish law. For inherent in the Jewish covenantal approach to marriage is the notion that the union being created involves not only the two parties creating the covenant, but the future and well-being of the larger Jewish community. That is why a chupa is always a public event. It is with this in mind that we can better appreciate the implication and importance of the final verse of Psalm 128, which is in Hebrew one of the most famous phrases in the biblical book. Ure vanim levanecha, shalom al Yisrael. May you see your children's children, and peace upon Israel. To speak of grandchildren at a wedding is again to remind the bride and groom that this is not only about them, but about transmission. In one of our earliest Bible 365 episodes, we discussed how Jacob is often referred to in rabbinic literature by the term zakain, elder. And how for Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, this is because Jacob, also known as Israel, is the only one of the patriarchs in the Torah that is depicted interacting not only with his children, but also with his grandchildren, with Joseph's children, Menashe and Ephraim. Jacob is therefore the embodiment of the Mesorah, Jewish tradition. That makes him our zakain, our ultimate elder. Rabbi Soloveitchik put it as follows, Abraham and Isaac transmitted their spiritual heritage to their sons, not to their grandsons. The latter received it from their fathers but there was no communication between Abraham and Jacob or between Isaac and Reuben and Simeon. Jacob, however, related directly to his grandchildren. He did not need an intermediary or an interpreter. His was a direct dialogue. He leapt over the Gulf of Generations and transmitted the great Mesorah of Abraham directly to Ephraim and Manasseh. Despite the discrepancy of years, the zakain, carrier of the old tradition, succeeded. How appropriate, therefore, Rabbi continued, that our people is called Israel or Jacob for it was he who created the Jewish community which ensures Jewish continuity, end quote. Rabbi Soloveitchik's reflection about honoring Jacob as Zakain, our elder, ought to be paired with another quote, one by Leon Cass, that I am also fond of citing, which discusses contemporary culture's obsession with youthfulness. As Cass wrote, a society that is obsessed with remaining young, quote, seeks an endless present isolated from anything truly eternal and severed from any true continuity with past and future. It is in principle Hostile to children, because children, those who come after, are those who will take one's place. They are life's answer to mortality, and their presence in one's house is a constant reminder that one no longer belongs to the frontier generation. One cannot pursue agelessness for oneself and remain faithful to the spirit and meaning of perpetuation. So Cass writes, Thus, while the wedding picture of Oppenheim does not capture the singing of the Shir Hamalot of that community, nor can it, there is another painting by Oppenheim, that in a certain sense, does. And that is the one known as Erderzegen das Rabbi, which we have also sent to you. Ostensibly, it depicts a father bringing his son to be blessed by the local rabbi at the synagogue following Sabbath services. But as scholars point out, Oppenheim is giving us a depiction of the spiritual leader of the community of his youth, Rabbi Tobias Zondheimer of hanau And it is Rabbi Zondheimer's son and grandson standing at his side. A grandfather is blessing a grandson. Strikingly in this painting, only one hand is placed on the grandson's head by the rabbi during the blessing. And whatever the ultimate explanation for this, we are immediately reminded of Jacob in Genesis, placing one hand on his grandson Ephraim and the other on his grandson Manasseh. And we realize as we study this depiction that at this moment, in one synagogue in Hanau, a link to past and posterity is established. And the spirit of Psalm 128, so special to that community, comes to life once more. To see paintings or images of the Jewish communities of Germany is to see depictions of traditions that are still practiced today, but it is also to think of communities that were destroyed. We can also say that throughout Jewish history, the sublime simplicity of the love and depth behind this psalm's final sentence remains, expressing hopes for the future. May you see your children's children and peace on Israel. In traditional Jewish weddings today, the assembled audience stands both when groom and bride separately proceed to the chuppah, well, explanations have been given for this, the tradition is in no way ancient, but I'm gratified to see that today more and more members of the audience take pains to rise during the procession as the grandparents of the bride and groom walk amongst them, because this is a biblical obligation, as a verse in Leviticus explicitly commands us to rise for our elders. And this standing also emphasizes, I think, what is taking place at the wedding ritual, that it is not only about two individuals, but about Jewish continuity. To rise before grandparents is above all a marking of the moment in which the wedding psalm can truly be said. It is not all Jewish weddings that sing Psalm 128, but this psalm is indeed one which captures what a celebration is all about, that throughout all the generations Jews continue to build homes, raise children, lavish love on grandchildren, celebrate life, love, and continuity, and thereby embody eternity. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.